Section 13 of The Children's Wonder Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bryn Villers, Honolulu, Hawaii. The Children's Wonder Book. The Thrilling Story of Captain Noman by Charles Remington Tallest. Archie and Clement, two boys just out of knickerbockers and just into Greek, were sitting on the steps of the back piazza one September afternoon with their first Greek books in their laps. They were not studying much, however. It was not a good place to study. The day was too fine, and the outdoor scene with the green lawn and a tennis court, and the grape garden beyond, and the stable yard where Dennis was washing carriages, and Lance, the big mastiff, lay asleep in the sun, was too attractive. But the rule had been made that they should give an hour to tomorrow's lessons each afternoon before going out to play, and here they were. "'Bother the Greek!' Archie exclaimed. "'It has bothered me enough already, although we've not yet learned the alphabet. What's the use of learning Greek, anyway?' I'm never going to Greece, am I? For my part, I abominate them. Latin and Greek both. Hi, hi, here broke in a cheery voice beside them. What's that you say about Latin and Greek? Never speak ill of the dead languages, my boy. De mortuis nil nisi bonum. They looked up, and there was Leroy, dressed in his tennis flannels, and with his racket under his arm. Leroy was a student at Harvard. He had no lessons to get this bright afternoon. His school did not begin until the last of the month. Leroy took out his watch and stood a moment, looking at it and at the boys. "'Look here, you fellows,' said he. "'I'll tell you what I'll do. I've got just fifteen minutes. Now if you'll promise to study hard and make up for it when I've done, I'll stop and tell you a story.' The promise, as may well be imagined, was readily given, so Leroy sat down on the step. Once there was a man, he began, and then paused a moment as though to get his facts together. This man was a great fellow, he went on. Some people consider him a hero, but I don't think I should call him that. To my mind, he was nothing more than a common adventurer after all, who sailed about, from one place to another, doing about as he pleased and helping himself to what he liked. "'Was he a pirate?' inquired Archie. "'Well, yes. I don't know, but you might call him a pirate. He may not have sailed under the black flag, but I dare say he had a red one or some other color. Like the Red Rover, you know.' "'What was his name?' asked Clement." Oh, said Leroy, he had various names, as pirates do. At the time I'm telling you of, he called himself Noman. Captain Noman. Well, one day Captain Noman was cruising about in his ship, when the lookout at the masthead reported land in sight. And the ship's course was accordingly altered, and about four o'clock in the afternoon they came to anchor off the shore of a lofty island. "'Was it an island in the Spanish main?' Clement interrupted to inquire. Clement had lately been reading some articles on 
the buccaneers and marooners of the Spanish main, and these, with the pictures that illustrated them, were still vividly in his mind. No, said Leroy, it was not in the Spanish main. But it was in a sea quite as full of islands as that is, and quite as thickly infested with pirates. All right, interposed Archie, nodding impatiently. Go on, please, Leroy, and tell us what they did. Did they go ashore? Fifteen minutes was not a very long time in which to tell a story, and Archie did not want any of it wasted. Yes, said Leroy. The captain ordered out his gig, and they pulled ashore. Come to think of it, I believe it was the cutter, though. The gig would have been too small, you see. He wanted to take as many men as he could, for he didn't know what dangers he might encounter. And besides, they were going in search of supplies. They left one man at the beach to look out for the boat, and the rest of them, with Captain Noman at their head, started off to explore the island. They wandered about for a long time without meeting any inhabitants or finding anything that it seemed to them worth their while to appropriate. By and by, however, they came suddenly upon a big hole in the side of the mountain. They peered into it, but could see nothing, and presently, mustering courage, they went in. They found themselves in a huge cavern, hollowed out of the rocks, and after a moment, as their eyes became accustomed to the gloom, they perceived that somebody lived there, and that the place was used as a sort of dairy. There were several neatly kept pens or enclosures in which were lambs and kids, and on the rocky shelves around there were great quantities of cheeses, and vessels of milk and cream. They were very glad to see all this. Those are just the things that sailors like, you know, when they've been at sea a long while and live on salt, junk, and biscuit. And they were proceeding to help themselves when all at once they heard a noise outside, as though somebody were throwing down a whole cord of wood at once, and then the mouth of the cavern was darkened, and the owner entered. And such a fellow as he was, the very sight of him was enough to set them quaking in their sea boots and wishing with all their hearts they were safe on board ship again. He was a perfect giant in stature, as large and strong as a dozen ordinary men, and his face, with its heavy jaw, its teeth that looked like tushes, its tangled beard and hair, and its one great, round, glaring eye was absolutely frightful. Strangely enough, he only had one eye, and that was in the middle of his forehead. He drove into the cavern a flock of sheep and goats, and then rolled to the opening, completely stopping it up, a huge rock so heavy that twenty oxen could not have drawn it. And there were Captain Noman and his men shut up in the place with that horrible monster with no possible way to get out. You can imagine how they felt. They did not feel any better either when the monster, glancing about the cavern, presently discovered them. Who are you? he demanded in a voice so deep and loud that it rolled and reverberated against the walls of the cave, just as a peal of thunder might have done. At this, Captain Noman stepped forward and tremblingly explained that they were a band of innocent voyagers who had landed upon the island in search of water and provisions, and who humbly besought his hospitality. 
The monster did not deign them a single word in reply. He simply glared at them a moment with his terrible eye, and then, reaching out one of his long arms, he seized two of the men and hurled them bodily against the side of the cavern, dashing their brains out instantly. Then, having thus killed them, he actually sat down on a rock and with great apparent relish proceeded to devour them. You see, he was a cannibal. Meanwhile, Captain Noman and his crew huddled themselves together in the darkest corner they could find fearfully watched him, wondering what he would do next. "'Oh, I say,' broke in Archie at this point with some show of disappointment. "'This isn't a true story, is it? Couldn't be!' "'Never mind if it isn't,' cried Clement eagerly. "'Please go on, Leroy.' True or not, Clement was intensely interested, as was Archie too, for that matter. Only Archie was a good deal of a realist." So Leroy went on without saying whether the story was true or not. Well, pretty soon after this, the monster, without seeming to take any further thought as to his prisoners, stretched his enormous length on the floor of the cavern and fell fast asleep. And then, one would think, was Captain Noman's time. Up to this moment, he had no thought of making an attack, well, he knew that though he and his men numbered quite a company, they were no match for such an adversary. But now that he was asleep, what could be easier than to fall upon him with their cutlasses and put an end to him? And the crew all thought so to a man, but Captain Noman shook his head. He was a wise fellow, celebrated the world over for his cunning. No, my brave boys, said he, that will never do at all. For you don't see, there is that big rock at the door of the cavern. We could never move it from its place ourselves, not if we put our shoulders to it at once and gave a heave altogether. The giant is the only one that can move it, and if we go and kill him, why, we'll just be shut up here, unable to get out, and doomed to die a miserable death. Which was all quite true, and the men saw that it was so, and there was nothing for them to do but bide their time and wait and see what the morrow would bring forth. The next morning, the first thing the monster did was to repeat his dreadful performance of the night before. He seized two more of the men and dashed them against the walls, and then ate them for breakfast. After that, he rolled the rock from the door drove out his sheep and goats, and then carefully replacing the rock, went away, leaving Captain Noman and his men still imprisoned in the cave. Then they held a long consultation as to what it was best to do. Captain Noman at length hit upon a plan. He directed his men to take a huge bar of wood which stood there against the wall, and which apparently was used by the monster for a staff, and to sharpen the end of it as sharp as they could get it. Then he told them to season the point well in the fire that had been left burning, and after that to hide it carefully in the straw, so they would know where to find it when it was wanted. This being done, he selected four of the coolest and bravest of his men, and taking them apart, instructed them fully as to the manner in which they were to assist him when the time came in the daring project he had in view. 
the monster came home at night at the expected time, drove in his flocks as before, and then closed up the door again with the boulder. Next, he milked his ewes and set the milk apart in the pans, some for drink, and some for the cream to rise. And then, just as they knew he would, of course, but not a thing could the poor fellows do to prevent it, he laid hold of two more of the ill-fated band, and slew and ate them as before. When he had finished his horrible supper, and while he was sitting there by the fire, comfortable and self-satisfied as people are apt to be after a hearty meal, Captain Noman stepped up to him and offered him some wine that they had brought with them, for trading purposes, I suppose, when they came on shore. The monster took it and drank it, and then eagerly called for more, which Captain Noman freely gave him as often as he wished it. This made the old fellow, by and by, grow quite hilarious. He asked Captain Noman his name, which the captain told him, of course, and vowed that he was a fine fellow and promised him that in consideration of his distinguished merits he should be the very last one of the party to be devoured, a promise by which, as you may imagine, the captain was not particularly elated. At length the monster began to show signs of drowsiness. He nodded stupidly as he sat there, tried to rouse himself once or twice, and then, all in a moment, he fell over on the floor and was sound asleep. Then, surely enough, the time for action had come. Captain Noman called for the sharpened stake, and thrusting the end of it into the flames, kept it there until the point, though not blunted at all, was just a solid burning coal of fire. Then, while not a sound was heard in the cave save the deep breathing of the sleeper, the captain with the four men whom he had chosen took firm hold of the stake. It was very heavy and cumbersome, you know, and a very delicate piece of work it was, too, that they had in hand. And raising it straight up in the air, they held it poised for an instant directly above the horrible eye of the slumbering monster of a cannibal. Then... With all their might, they brought it down, making sure of their dreadful but necessary work. Then, what a scene took place! The monster sprang instantly to his feet, roaring with pain, but utterly unable to see anything about him, his sight, of course, being totally destroyed. He began rushing up and down the cavern, fairly beside himself, seeking to lay hands on the captain and his men, who, he well knew, must have done him this injury. But they, keeping perfectly silent and moving nimbly about, were easily able to avoid him now that his sight was gone. His loud cries, however, quickly brought some of his neighbors. It seems that there were neighbors, after all, to the door, who called out to know what was the matter and why he disturbed their slumbers in this way at this time of night. Oh, friends, the monster cried in reply, I am dying. And no man gives the blow. Oh, they answered to this. If no man hurts thee, then it is the stroke of heaven. And so saying, they went back to their beds again, leaving him still howling. There was no more sleep in the cavern that night, you may be sure, either for the monster or for Captain Noman and his men. The one could not sleep for pain, the others for anxiety, and a long, dreary night they had of it. 
But morning came at last, and by and by the monster, blind and beside himself though he was, prepared to drive out his flock as usual. He was very cunning, however. As soon as he had rolled away the rock, he sat himself down right beside the opening, and calling to the sheep and goats to pass out, he carefully felt of each one of them as they went by to be sure that none of his prisoners went with them. It was evident that he did not mean them to escape. But Captain Noman was quite his match in cunning, at any rate. He quickly whispered to his men to take some willow-withs that were lying on the floor of the cave, and to tie the rams of the flock together, three abreast. And as fast as this could be done, he directed the men one by one to suspend themselves on the underside of the middle ram, taking firm hold. And so, one after another, they, every one of them, passed safely out. You see, they were protected on either side by the other two rams, and the monster, in passing his hand over them, only felt of the back of the middle of the ram. Captain Noman himself was the last to pass out. He was a true sailor, and he knew that the captain should always be the last man to quit the post of danger. And so they made their escape. They were not yet out of the woods, however. The old fellow soon discovered that they were gone and came out blind, though he was in hot pursuit. He followed them by the sound, for, you see, they drove some of the sheep and goats down to the boat to take on board the ship, and these made quite a noise. So he arrived at the beach just after they had pushed off. Captain Noman, while the boat was still only a short distance from shore, called out to him exultingly that he was well repaid for his cruelty to their comrades, whereupon the monster, picking up a huge piece of rock, hurled it with all his might in the direction of the voice. And he came very near hitting them, too. The rock just cleared the stern of the boat, and it made such a splashing and commotion that they were nearly swamped as it was. You may be sure Captain Noman did not shout again, till they were well out of stone's throw. Then he could not refrain from repeating his cry just to let the monster know that they were safe. And that, said Leroy, getting up from the step, is the end of my story. Archie and Clement each drew a long breath. They had been deeply interested. It's a good story, declared Archie with emphasis. Indeed it is, cried Clement. A capital story. Did you make it up, Leroy? No, said Leroy. I read it. I have the book in the house. Would you like to see it? It's full of such stories. Indeed we would, cried both boys together. Well, Archie, you go and get it, will you? It's a green book with red edges. You'll find it on the library table. I was using it this morning. So Archie jumped up and ran in, and presently he came out again with slower step and rather a crestfallen air holding the open book in his hand. Why, said he, this is all printed in Greek, just like what we are studying. Leroy burst out laughing. <laughs> to be sure it is, cried he. It's Homer's Odyssey. But the story of Captain Noman is there, almost exactly as I've told it to you. It's the story of Ulysses and Polyphemus, and the book is full of just such stories. 
You ought to read it. But we can't read it, said Archie ruefully. Oh, yes, you can. After you've studied a while. You'll have to read it, you know, or something equivalent to it before you can get into college. But look here. Leroy took out his watch again and whistled softly as he looked at it. Whew, I'm behind time already, said he. I ought to be over at the Evans's this minute. But I'll give you the moral of my story. You just pitch in for two or three years and study your Latin and Greek faithfully. You'll begin to see then, much better than you can now, what they are good for. You'll like them too. And you'll find they'll let you into a lot of good things besides stories about monsters with only one eye in their heads. I can't stop any longer, but remember, you promised to go to work like good fellows and learn your lessons. Good day to you. And off he went. Archie slowly turned over the leaves of the book. His eyes dwelt longingly on one page and then on another, though one was very much like another to him. I declare, he said, it would be nice if we could dig this out, wouldn't it, and read all the stories? Yes said Clement. It would, but the only way to be able to do it is to study, of course, and I suppose we must begin with the alphabet. Yes, Archie answered with a sigh and took up his lesson book. Then, for a long while, no sound was heard on the back piazza, save the humming of the bees, or now and then a murmured, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, or mu, nu, chai, omicron, as one or other of the boys forgot himself and spoke his lesson aloud. End of section 13. Recording by Bryn Villers, Honolulu, Hawaii.